Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Clubhouse Talk. We are finally back in football season, which means we are back to our weekly cadence starting now. Every week we will have an episode coming to you uh, recording on most Tuesdays, so it should be in your feed by Tuesday night or early Wednesday morning to check out what's what's going to be coming up on the weekends for, for Saturday college football and then Sunday NFL football is not too far around the corner. How are you doing today, Joe? We're doing great. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. College football's back. I got nothing else to say. Let's let's just jump into it. I love it. I love the energy. I love the excitement. You're right. Um, it, it's it's so awesome finally getting it back. Uh, do you want to do you want to dive into college football and, and touch on the Braves on the back half? Yeah, let's do that. Okay. Yeah, so <laughs> let's uh, let, let's start them with you know. I guess we'll take a quick look at, at the week zero games. Uh, this is a new thing that kind of popped up really with the Miami Florida game a couple of years ago uh, of this whole week zero aspect of a few teams are playing the week before everybody else plays. I, I don't really understand it myself. It, it's a bit odd, but uh, there, there weren't too many big games of note. The biggest one was uh, Illinois, Nebraska, which the only reason that game was week zero was the game was supposed to be played in Ireland until COVID uh, obviously has happened and it stopped the teams from being able to travel over. So it was kind of meant for them to be, have a travel week this week. So anyways, the game got played last week and it was really, really good start for the Brett Bielema era in, in Illinois and a really, really bad start to the season for the Scott Frost uh, team there in Nebraska. What, what were your, what were your thoughts after that game on Saturday? Yeah. I mean, it was exactly that. I, uh, Scott Frost is, I guess, continuing to be a very underwhelming hire for Nebraska since he left UCF. Um, so definitely not a good start to his sec- third season. Fourth, uh, I think, actually. Fourth. He's been – yeah, he, uh, he left after 2017, so he's been there 18, 19, 20. Yep, this is fourth season. Yeah, so they, they've never really done very much with him. So he's going to really need to turn it around this year. No, I mean you're you're exactly right. He had 13 seasons in his final win at, at in the final season at UCF, and he has 12 so far in his seasons at Nebraska. It's, it's not good. Um, and I have a lot of Nebraska friends, which I'm sure our local or uh, loyal followers might remember from back in March Madness times. And I was talking to them before the game, and I actually expected Illinois to pull out that game. Um, I, I thought that they were the more experienced team and having the home field advantage was, was going to help them, but I did not expect Nebraska to look as inept as they did. I mean, they couldn't run the ball. Uh, just so many special teams errors of you have a guy catching a punt on the one yard line while he's going backwards and tries to throw the ball forward, which turns into a safety. You have a scoop and score uh, some bad penalties at bad times. I, I mean, it was two missed extra points. It, it was just a catastrophe for them out there on Saturday. Yeah, and it, it could just be first game of the year shaking off some rust, but that was, that was a very undisciplined football performance from Nebraska. And, and maybe Illinois is just going to be the hot team of the country this year. I don't think yeah. that's the case, but. <laughs> I mean, they, they played better than a lot of people, a lot of uh, sports books kind of gave them credit for, but I think a lot of, a lot of analysts expected them that game to be close and, uh, but yeah, that, that game was out of out of hand there in the fourth quarter, and Nebraska put up a couple of late scores that that made it a lot more respectable uh, than it really needed uh, than it pretty much was for most of that game. They they kind of blew them out there in that second half. So 
Yeah. If Scott Frost wants to stick around Nebraska for much longer, he's going to have to figure out a way to turn this thing around and turn it around fast for them because this is this is a really big season for him, I think. I agree. I'm absolutely with you. So uh, on that note, we'll actually we'll get to the, the more fun part, I'd say, which is previewing and trying to get some predictions in here and talking about what, what's coming up this Saturday. So or I, I should say this week one because we have a lot of games on, on Thursday – Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, you get the whole week out of five straight days of college football. It's one of the only times, if I think the only time you get it the entire year on, on Labor Day weekend when they do this, where you get great games all five days. So let's uh, let's start it off with, before we get into games, I, I think it'll be easier to kind of talk about our own fanhood and, and talk about the teams that, that we like and I guess what we expect going into it because I know uh, uh, at least one of the games we're going to talk about involves involves your Ohio State Buckeyes. So let's start there. What do you expect from Ohio State this year? Uh, I mean, I think both Notre Dame and Ohio State are kind of in the same situation where they've had a very solid core for the last few years, and that core is gone. I mean, Notre Dame was the Ian Book show. Ohio State was the Justin Field show. And then kind of the supporting cast around them. So I, I think they're – I think Ohio State will be good as they always do, but they they had a QB battle um, pretty late into camp before naming Stroud as the the starting QB. Um, so it, it's really a lot of uncertainty, but they've recruited well, you know, for the last four years. So they've got a lot of guys that are going to fill in those roles. There isn't a whole lot, I think, to worry about with the Big Ten. They, I I think they'll probably be very similar to what they always are. It's just win a bunch of games and be kind of that borderline team going into the playoffs. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I, I think that it might be a little bit of a slow start for him. Uh, for CJ Stroud, just, just break it and a new QB is never an easy thing to do. But I'm telling you, there is an absolutely loaded roster there uh, in Columbus, Ohio, especially in the wide receiver room. That that room is deep. I mean, five or six guys deep that you would, you would be looking at being the number one receiver on any other team in the nation, and you've got them stacked up there. And, and honestly, that's a really good way for a lot of success in the college game is you just have – you line up four great guys, they're not going to be able to cover all of them. Uh, you're, yeah. Some college corner is going to – this isn't the NFL. Somebody's going to get beat. You're going to find a weak spot, and it's finding that – and finding that guy who gets beat each play – and I think that once uh, once Stroud gets some light bolts going, I, I think that team could be really rocking and rolling by the end of the year. So I don't I don't expect them to have a lot of challengers, uh, if any, and possibly I, I think could go uh, undefeated this year. It's just a matter of how mistake free does he play, uh, injuries, all those type of things. But I, I expect a lot out of Ohio State this year. Yeah, and I think you bring up a good point. What makes Ohio State so lethal in the Big Ten? And really, no team in the Big Ten, I'd say with the exception of Michigan, has just the quality of athletes. Ohio State has SEC-caliber athletes every year, and, and I would even say top SEC players. Because what separates, in my opinion, and, and we'll get into this more and more as the season goes along, but the SEC from the rest of the country, it's just the speed and the size of those guys. And if you look at Ohio State, they're just as big as – you know, Alabama, Georgia, LSU, any of those teams. And that's why they run roughshod over most of the teams in the Big Ten because they're just not. I mean, if you look at the bottom teams in the SEC, I'm sorry to do this to you, but like even Tennessee has great recruits. They have great athletes. For some reason, they can't piece together a win. But 
Tennessee week in and week out could foreseeably beat most of the teams they're playing. I mean, with the exception of like Alabama, but the lower end teams in the big 10 can't do that in my opinion. No, I agree. I mean, I think if you put Tennessee in the big 10, I think that they would have a much more successful season year in and year out than they do in the sec, just based off the, the quality of teams. I mean, they could easily be an eight or nine win team. I think with the quality of players that they have, I, I agree. And I think that goes the same for a lot of conferences. It's just, it's so much different when everybody around you has that quality of talent. And Ohio State is in that, I think, top echelon there. Of I, I put them with Bama and Georgia right now in terms of talent, where those three teams stand on a pedestal. And then you've got Clemson and probably Oklahoma right there, not too far behind. Those five teams have so much talent comparative to everybody else. It's just a notch above. I mean, you're, they're deeper, they're bigger, they're stronger, they're faster. It, it, it's for you to be able to beat those teams, you have to catch them on the right day and you have to have the right game plan. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it makes it a whole lot harder because you're starting with you're starting the game at a deficiency against them. Yeah, 100 percent. And I think I think Ohio State as a fan, you know, I think they get dragged down by association with a lot of those teams at the Big Ten where. You know, I, I truthfully, and I will argue this blue in the face, if you put Ohio State and the SEC East, they'd win it every year. But their talent right now, I'm not disagreeing with you one bit. They would give Georgia a run for their money. They would give uh, – I think that they could give everybody in the SEC, SEC an absolute run for their money with, with where their talent level is at now. I'm not going to disagree with you. But yeah, that, that's kind of my synopsis. I mean, they, they'll have the weapons. It's just – We'll see. I mean, it's going into Ryan Day's third season, so see what he can do. Yep, absolutely. Um, what do you What do you expect out of Notre Dame? You mentioned them. Um, also, going to be you know breaking in a new a new cast of characters there, and going to have a back to their regular uh, independent schedule where they're playing playing a lot of really good teams all over the place. So, what do you expect out of Notre Dame this year? Yeah, so their their quarterback stepping in is actually a transfer from Wisconsin, Jake Cohn. So he's got some big game experience. Um, I think they, they lost a lot more key pieces than Ohio State did. I mean, they lost uh, Jeremiah Ursa Cormeo, who's probably one of the best linebackers in the country. He was a big piece of their defense. Um, they just had another linebacker go down due to injury. And um, so, you know, you're two big pieces right there. And I also think Ian Book meant a lot more to Notre Dame's offense than Justin Fields meant to Ohio State's offense. I know, you know, that's – kind of strange to say because Fields was a Heisman candidate first round pick, but I think relative to the weapons and the leadership skills. So I think that's going to be a big loss. I think Notre Dame probably won't have the success that they had the last two years. They probably lose a couple games just on not having that guy who just knew how to go out there and win. I mean, Ian book, say what you want about the guy. I think he was a phenomenal quarterback. He's the most winning quarterback in the history of Notre Dame, which as we talked about, it's a top 10, win school in college football history. Yeah. So, I mean, that that's pretty big for a pretty big guy to replace. But I mean, I agree with you. They, It's just every year you've got this tough schedule when you start looking. I mean, and that's one of the things that Notre Dame does so well every year, and they've got to do it as an independence. They've got to make sure that their schedule is, is up to caliber. But, I mean, you start off the year – I mean, we'll talk about it later. Of Florida State, you've got you got to go on the road to Wisconsin, which is not an easy place to play. Cincinnati is going to be a really interesting game late in the year. 
Um, UNC, that's going to be another really good game. So those are some high quality opponents that they're going to play. So they're, they are as well. What? USC every year as well. Yep. And so that, that's a lot of tough teams to play and, and they probably are due for, I, I think a little bit of a regression this year. If they won, if they won double digit games, I'd say that's a, a really successful season. Um, I, I probably expect them to lose three games this year. So that, that 93, and then if they, they don't have an extra slip up, then you're looking at 10 and two. So that's kind of where, where at least I see Notre Dame looking, looking at the schedule, what I expect coming back, but you've got a great coaching staff. there, obviously a very established program. It's just a matter of, you know, can they hold up and, and how does this new transfer quarterback come in and how does he fit in? Yeah. And, and it's kind of tough for me to give, you know, real analysis on, on either of the teams right now because I think I think they're just going to look so differently this year because they both lost those two staple pieces of the team because when I mean the last two years when you think of Ohio State the only guy anybody ever talked about was Justin Fields and occasionally J.K. Dobbins and then you know on the flip side Notre Dame the only guy anybody ever talked about was Ian Book so I just think you know the the landscape gets changed so much because of that and Notre Dame had probably the best year I think I've seen, and or I think that was probably the best. Let me rephrase it. That was probably the best Notre Dame team, regardless of record that I've ever seen in my lifetime that I can think of. Last year's team, I think so, because that team that played the national championship against Alabama was good, but I don't think that they were as good as last year's team. The whole the whole college football landscape is just so different with how how huge a transfer portal is, with obviously the immediate eligibility being passed this year. And so these teams just can look so drastically different from a year to year. I think it's going to be something that a lot of college fans are going to have to keep up with. If you're going to see your team, you can graduate 10, 15 seniors, and you are going to have a brand new team that may not always be freshmen because you can go out of the portal and, and bring in guys. And so it's going to be a lot of new faces really, really fast uh, to bring. I mean, it's, it's like a whole nother recruiting cycle. So it'll be really interesting to see not just them. I mean, when, well, I mean, when I start talking about Tennessee, it's just their entire team's different. You're, you've got a brand new staff this year, new athletic director, and Tennessee lost the most amount of players this year to the transfer portal, which on the reverse side means they, they're bringing in a lot of players on the transfer portal as well. You're going to transfer quarterback, um, a, a Juco transfer running back. You've got a couple transfer wide receivers, got guys on the defense, their middle linebackers transfer. Um it's just it's all over the place when you start start looking at it. So it's a lot of new faces, but I'm excited about at least that it's. I'm not expecting a lot out of Tennessee. It's really hard to expect a lot with everything they've gone through in the last 12 months. But I think if they they've got a very winnable schedule this year in terms of they don't have the tough out of conference opponent. Their their toughest one is Pittsburgh week two, which I think will say a lot about where the team stands. But I, I think six and six is very, very reasonable this year. If they won more than six, I would be really surprised. And if they, if they only won five, I also wouldn't be surprised. I think anything less than five is an absolute disappointment. But at least on the bright side is I think that the offense is going to be really, really exciting with Joe Milton. Um, is has an electric uh, skill set to him. Huge, huge arm. He's mobile. I, I think he's going to excel in this Josh Heupel offense much more than he did under Jim Harbaugh at Michigan, I think that that was an offense that kind of kind of held him back a little bit. So 
I expect the up tempo, the fast paced nature to really help him. And and we'll see what what the team does. They're gonna they're gonna score points, but I have a feeling we're gonna give up a lot of points when we start playing some pretty good teams like Georgia, Florida, Bama. You're you're gonna start seeing Tennessee probably give up 50, 60 points. But on the bright side, hey, they might score 30. So it's it's better to be uh at least exciting and, and bad than boring and bad. Yeah, so here's here's a thought I have for you, and I want to get your opinion on it. Do you think that and and I'll voice my opinion after, but I want to hear yours first. Since you know there's a new new head coach, completely new staff, do you think it's better that a lot of the players left and it's a lot of new guys coming into a completely new system? Or do you think it would have been better to keep some of the the old guard leadership on the team? Um, I, I think that it, it's always nice if you have people who have experienced the culture of the team um, and, and understand it more. But honestly, a lot of the players they left or that that left were younger guys that were really talented that really wanted to go somewhere and get out in case of any NCA sanctions. They went, didn't want to be held back. And frankly, I'm okay with them all being gone because they clearly weren't tied to the university. They were tied to playing time. They were tied to playing at a program that's going to get national uh, exposure. And that's what they cared about. And so now I think the guys that are left and the people who chose to stay in Tennessee right now, it's, they are people who chose Tennessee at a time when not a lot of people wanted to choose Tennessee at about the lowest of low it's ever been. So Heupel I think that there there says a lot that he wanted to take this job in the position that the program was in. And for the guys who came in and want to play for him and are stuck around, I think it says a lot. So I'm excited about the players because I think these players truly do care about the university and care about the program as well as obviously wanting to develop and, and win games as well. Yeah. So my kind of thought and the reason I asked is just, I think the way Tennessee struggled for so long I think the closer you can get to an absolute clean slate, the better. And not having guys who are like tied to some old system that they got brought into or whatever, I just think it, it would make the transition process better. I mean, I could be, could be wrong, but that's just – I think Tennessee is kind of at a breaking point where it's like, all right, enough's enough. And I, I think with how clean the slate is, this will be – you know, I, I will call my shot, actually. I think this will probably be where Tennessee starts the upswing back to, like, getting into a competitive program again in the SEC. It just feels that way to Not me. Gonna be a quick like road, only, but... It feels like you can only F it up so many times before eventually <laughs> you get it right. Because Tennessee's always been – they like, people historically have wanted to play there, have wanted to coach there. They just recently haven't – wanting to deal with the bird's nest of issues that comes along with it. Yeah. They haven't had a great university uh, leadership around them between athletic directors to chancellors or presidents of the school. There's been that to deal with. And then it's not always an easy place to play or to win because you look at their schedule. I mean, they have to play Georgia, Florida every year. They're the only team in the East that has to play Alabama every year. So you're starting with, you've got some tough teams on the schedule every single year, which, which makes it a much difficult, much more difficult place to have prolonged success. But, but you're right that Tennessee is a historic program. They've got a lot of massive, massive fan base across the nation. It, I mean, that, that power T logo means something to a lot of people in a lot of places because it was something for so long. Maybe not our generation hasn't seen it at, at what its best was, but 
think anybody over the age of 30 really remembers what Tennessee was in the 90s and, and before that even. So it wasn't that long ago that they were – I mean, they were in an SEC championship game 15 years ago. So, yeah, it's a decade and a half, but at the same time you start thinking about it, I mean, that's a whole lot closer than what some teams have been to to winning any other titles themselves. So mm-hmm. you think about how great Georgia is. Georgia hasn't won a title since 1980. So, I mean – it's hard to uh, hard to put in perspective, but I do agree that Tennessee getting a clean slate is a good thing for the program. Um, they're starting to do a lot more things. They're getting a lot more new age. I, I think that they're leaning into a lot more going modern in the offense. Uh, they're putting in, they put in led lights in the stadiums, for example. I mean, that's just another thing that's maybe not as traditional as, uh, as the program might be, but it's what the kids want. It's what the new age is. And it's how they're going to try and keep up with the Bamas and the Georgias who have these lights. I mean, the, the players like this type of fun gimmicky stuff. So, Hey, whatever, whatever gets the job done, it's going to be exciting. Yeah. I mean, I, it's always cool to, to see a completely new system as long as it works. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, Hey, we could be sitting here three years later and, and Hypo could fall on his face like Dooley did and Tennessee not get it get to a bowl game in three years. And then in that case, then it doesn't look like such a great hire, but Heupel's offense have been successful. It's, it's going to come down to what does the defense look like? And we've seen that this type of prolific offense can already work down the SEC. You see what Lane Kiffin's done at Ole Miss. I mean, what he's done to Bama the last, last year when he played him and they put up 50 something points on him and had a shootout. I mean, that's, that's what at least teams don't – they don't want to play that. The Georgias and the Bamas, they don't want to play that every week. They'd rather have a team try and go out there and, and manhandle you between the line because they know they're going to win that. When you when they step into a game and they know they have to put up 30 or 40 points, there's at least a little bit of pressure that, hey, we've got to go out there and we've got to execute if we're going to win this game. Yeah. So I absolutely agree. We can get off the soapbox of, of previews of our own teams and <laughs> – start talking at least about games that are coming up this week. Cause there's a really, really great week one slate of games. Um, and I think it starts immediately on Thursday night, which is Ohio state's first game uh, against Minnesota at Minnesota. And it's an interesting game just because you, you start a brand new quarterback on the road. He's never had a career pass attempt and he's got to go to a fairly hostile place on a Thursday night on national spotlight. What do you, what do you see in this game? I think it's going to be a war, honestly, because Minnesota has been a good team in the Big Ten recently. They've, they've come from really nowhere, to be honest, and, and they've been one of the best teams in the Big Ten the last couple of years. But I think Ohio State will pull it out. Um, I, I think maybe like a 10-point win. Um, but I do think they're going to have to come from behind to do it, honestly. I think Minnesota's going to come out hot and motivated, and I think they'll probably get up quick and then – just the better athletes are going to wear them down is kind of my, my thought, but it, it will by no means be a pushover game for Ohio state. And if, if it is, I'll be shocked and pleasantly surprised, but I just, I can't imagine going on the road to Minnesota um, the first game of the season and them not coming out with a lot of energy and focus to upset right off the bat, you know, the, the King of the big 10 pretty much. I I'm right there. I mean, the, the sports books have this as a, have this as a two touchdown game, a 14 point uh, spread to Ohio state, which I think is quite large for this type of game for Ohio state. I, 
Do I think that Ohio State can cover it? Absolutely. Would it surprise me? Not one bit. I think if they did, it would probably be the type of a late score thing that pushes it over with, with a couple minutes to go. But I, I agree with you that I think it's going to be a really good battle for the whole game. Um, BJ Fleck has that team. It has that fan base behind their team. They're going to come out and they will fight it. I, I guarantee you that this game will be a one score game going into the fourth quarter. If it is not, I would be genuinely surprised to either side. And then it's a matter of what happens in the fourth quarter, who makes the mistakes. If Minnesota pulled off the upset, I don't think it would be the most shocking thing of the weekend, but it also, I don't expect Ohio state to lose is what I want to say, but Minnesota absolutely has a puncher's chance in this game. Oh yeah. And, and you, you brought up the biggest point of it all is Fleck is like an absolute player's coach and he's going to have his guys ready. There's no question in my mind. I, I think everything else has been said about it, but I just, I expect it to be a very, a, toughly contested Big Ten style football game where it's it's not going to be a shootout. It's going to be, you know, pretty close the whole game. One team makes a mistake coming down the stretch. I, I like that. We're on the same page here. Um, have Ohio State pulling it out, but both of us agree that it's going to be the, the hotly contested. A really, really good game for you guys to check out on Thursday night. And if you get really bored with that, then you can turn over and hopefully watch Tennessee uh, curb stomp Bowling Green, which will be – I'm really, really sad that I will be – I'm not sad I'm going to be at the home opener for Tennessee, but I am really sad I'm going to be missing that game. So I'm going to be – I'm going to be checking my phone a lot during the game to see what's going on in that one. <laughs> um, all righty. On to another – the Big Ten slate has started off fantastic. I love this little jumping into conference play right away thing. And because another really, really great game on Saturday is going to be Penn State and Wisconsin. You've got two top 20 teams here. Uh, Penn State's looking for a really big rebound after starting off the season horribly. They kind of picked it up a little bit last year. Wisconsin started off hot and got a little cold at the end of the year. Uh, This is at Wisconsin, which is not an easy place to play at Camp Randall. What do you see in this game? An absolute coin flip. I mean, the last – the last five years, these have been like the, the Big Ten contender teams, I guess. And it they're either on or off every year. So you really don't know what you're going to get. I, I mean, I guess if I have to lean one way, I'll lean Wisconsin just because they're at home. But I don't know if there's like a total X factor for either team, you know, going into the season that would make them a step ahead. But I don't know. I mean, the, this is going to be a big game for the rest of the season with pretty big implications because, I mean, those teams are going to be right there at the end, most likely to get into the Big Ten championship. So one of them's going to be under the gun right off the draw. But Yeah, I, I mean, for both of these teams, uh, a loss to start off the year is really good. I mean, obviously it puts you a step back. But I mean, this is a significant step when it's – when they're they're very equally matched teams, you're probably looking at the same sort of thing going at the end of the year. And I would venture that they finish one game different. And it will be this one game that will decide the difference between these two teams. I, I have Wisconsin winning this game in a close one. Um, I think that they, they probably score late or this game could easily go into overtime, but can't just giving them the home field advantage. This is a really big year for James Franklin. I think he's got to kind of put up this year. 
Um, uh, uh, he otherwise, I think his seat could get really, really hot if it's a bad year. And then if if it's an okay year, then I think his hot seat is going into next year. But if if things get off bad like they did last year, his seat could get hot this year and get hot quick. Yeah, because he he was definitely on the hot seat for a little bit last year. Yeah, I mean honestly, it wasn't six or whatever and getting blown out. They were there were a lot of people calling for his head. Yeah. Yeah, he, uh, he's never really impressed me, but he had it rolling there for a little bit, and then it's it's definitely gotten gotten away from things in the last couple of years. I, injuries and other things have happened, but we'll see what see what he does coming right out the gate because it will say a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, Bama and Miami in in Atlanta, um, basically Bama's second home stadium, if you want to call it. I don't even know if you can call it a neutral site anymore. I mean. Bama fans have their, I'm sure all of them have their go-to hotels in Atlanta at this point. Um, they know the route just like the back of their hand of how to get to Atlanta to get to the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. They, they go to it every year. But um, Derek King's coming back from Miami, coming back from injury. Um, where where do you see this game playing, or how do you see this game playing out, I should say? I don't – I couldn't care less if it was Derek King coming back or <laughs> uh, freaking the – Miami team of the late nineties, Alabama is just going to steamroll them. They're, they're just, it's every year that we have like one of these big powerhouse sec teams play like some crossover game against one of the other big conference teams. And it, it's the same result every year. It's honestly kind of nauseating for me to watch because they're, it's just, it's not going to happen. It, it will not happen. Alabama is a much better team than Miami. Derek King's great, you know, not taking anything away from him. But Nick Saban's not going to lose the first game of the season, and he's certainly not going to lose it to Miami. And Bama's pretty much been the uh, the go-to team for these games the last few years, and every single one of them has not been pretty. I mean, you have um, you had them play Wisconsin in 2015. They played Florida State. They played USC. You had some some pretty big-time programs, and Bama wiped the floor with pretty much all these teams. And – I don't know if Bama's going to wipe the floor with Miami. I think that Miami's got more experience. Bama's breaking in a brand-new quarterback in Bryce Young. Um, and so I think that that's going to be a little bit of hesitancy on their offense. But their defense is going to be way better than it was last year. They returned a lot of people. They got extra people out of the portal. Uh, I think that this will be a little bit more, I guess you could say, vintage Nick Saban team this year in that it's a uh, – a defensive laden team and a less offensive explosive team. Like you've seen the last couple of years with Tua and and Jalen and, and all those weapons that they've had on the outside. So that's at least what I expect from Bama. not saying they won't put up points, but I just, I don't think that they're going to win games by scoring points. I think that they're going to be, they're really going to throttle people on defense. Interesting. Interesting. I just, Alabama will always put up points because they're always going to have the best offensive line in the country. So, I mean, no matter how uncomfortable Bryce Young is back there, he'll have 15 seconds in the pocket. <laughs> <laughs> they're just too good. I, I, I just really think they're too good to lose to Miami and not lose to them – or to beat Miami badly. I think that they – I think that – I think the spread last I looked, it's right around that 16, 17-point range. With, I, I think it was 17 and a half. 17 and a half. So, I think that's really accurate – in, in that 17 to 20 uh, point range, in, in my opinion. Um, 
Miami can't, I think Miami maybe keep it close, like a 10, 10 or 14 point game at halftime. And then I think the second half is just going to get away from them a little bit. I just, I can't help myself, but think this is like a 41, 45 to 14 game. You're just going for the straight steamroll. I just, I don't, I, I want it to be a game. I do. I just, I don't see it happening. Well, I have a little bit more in faith in Miami, I guess, than you, or, or maybe I just have a little bit more disbelief in Bama. I don't know which way to look at it. It's probably a little bit more faith in Miami than anything. I'm done doubting Bama. <laughs> it, it is really, really hard to doubt Bama at this point. I mean, I, I was listening to uh, another podcast earlier and they were, they were talking, they were making their uh, season championship predictions of who wins each conference and, uh, it was this girl for the Big Ten. I think it's Nicole Arkenbach, or I forget how to pronounce her last name. But she was like, you know, it's just one of the things at this point. It's I'm done. She was like, I'm done picking against Bama. I'm just going to pick Bama until somebody dethrones Bama. Because even though she's like, I don't care how good anybody else is, you just you can't pick against them anymore. It's like picking against Tom Brady in a big game. Just you can't do it. It's stupid. It's childish to do anything against. I mean. It- they have the best coach in the history of college football. And every year they have the number one recruiting class. I mean, it goes against all logic to ever pick against that. It's so and you might be wrong, but you probably won't be wrong two seasons in a row. No, no, definitely not. I mean, their, their bad seasons are when they win 10 games. It's as simple as that. That is a bad season for them at this point. So no, I I'm with you that, Bama definitely pulls it out. Maybe a little closer than you think, but I, we both have Bama. Um, and then the other big Big Ten game of the weekend is Indiana-Iowa, which I have a feeling you're probably going to say is another coin flip game and and that Indiana brings gets Michael Penix back from injury. It's an interesting year for Iowa. I think Chris Ferentz really needs a good team, a good season here. Otherwise, his seat might start start to get hot there in Iowa. What do you What do you see in this game? I mean, yes, I do think it's going to be a close game, but I do think Indiana is going to, going to pull it out. Um, Penix was awesome last year. He was really fun to watch until he went down from injury. I hope he's fully recovered and, and can provide that same spark plug. If you kept uh, an eye on the portal at all, Indiana picked up some guys. They picked up some receivers from other teams in the Big Ten. Um, so I think they're, they'll be a good team again this year. Um, so I think, I think Indiana will pull it out. A little bit. Not I think I was bad. I just think they're going to be a, they're going to be a good team again. I think Penix is a top five quarterback in fo- in college football this year. That I mean, I that guy is really really good. I don't think a lot of people watched enough of him last year before he got hurt, um, and he really didn't have much of a chance on a national stage. Not a lot of their games were big, other than really the OSU game, and they got kind of blown out of that early, and then made a late run at that. But I, I'm with you. I also. I I'm always big on home teams the first weekend, and this might be the only road team that I'm I'm going to take here. Uh, but I do think that they have more talent on their team. I think that they have more offensive weapons that they will be able to score points against Iowa. And I frankly, I haven't seen a lot from Iowa in the last two years to really make me think that they're gonna they're due for a bounce back yet. So I have I have Indiana. Um, now for an interesting game here to start off the Steve Sarkeesian era, you have Louisiana Lafayette, the Raging Cajuns going, going to Texas 
Um, like I said, to start off the Stark era, you've got a lot of new faces there in Texas this year. Um, you got a brand new quarterback for the first time in what feels like 10 years. Sam Elger is not the quarterback <laughs> there in Texas. Uh, where, do, where do you see this game going? You know, to be honest, I don't I don't know a whole lot about what Sarkeesian is going to be doing at Texas or who the next quarterback is going to be, but all I know is they better win that game. <laughs> because if you, if you let UL Lafayette come in there on your first home game at UT after what a big hire he was and they lose, it's going to be bad. And- I agree. It would be it would be such a sour start to to their uh, you know to his era there at Texas uh, if he loses this game and it is very losable. I mean Lafayette beat a couple of good teams last year. They beat Iowa State the first game last year. Iowa State was a really good team. They're a good team. I mean they can't just sleepwalk in their top twenty five team. I think that's a little bit a little bit strong of a starting point for Lafayette, but I think that they're a top thirty team to start the year. And that's that's a dangerous game because it's not a strong name that you're playing, obviously, but it's a strong enough team that they're gonna give you a real run for your money there in that first game. Yeah, I mean they they put up points. Like they put up I'm looking at their last five games of last season. I don't, you know, 31 points, 24 points, 70 points, 38 points, 27 points. So they can score. It's just, you know, it'll be interesting. I just, if he, if he drops that game, I just think it's going to be bad. Yeah. I, like I said, just, that's not how, especially with just with all the news that's happened in the off season, Texas is getting ready to move to the SEC and then you have that happen. I mean, that's just such a that's such an absolute just slap in the face with everything that that's gone on. Isn't it crazy to me that we even like are pulling up this game as like one of the ones to watch? Like, doesn't it that just crazy. show how far Texas has fallen from grace that we're discussing a game against UL Louis Lafayette? And it's it's nothing against them; they're a fine program. But like Texas was like like Texas football is like. It's almost a cliche at this point, and they're just not – they're not back. They're not back yet. That's always the saying is Texas back, and they're, they're not back yet. You're right. And it was funny when I looked at it. I was like, how is this a top it's, – it's a little bit of a prop to Lafayette for having a top 25 team to make this a talkable game. But, yeah, I mean, it shows you where Texas's program has fallen that you – you really have to ask them. You have to ask who's going to win this game because you don't know. I think it's I think it's almost close to a coin flip. I say it's like a 60-40, maybe 55-45 type of split in this game of what I give the percentages to. I mean, it's it's an eight-point spread in, in Texas' favor, which isn't, you know, anything drastic. It's No. I mean, Notre Dame, Florida State was seven and a half. Um, so it's – it's basically saying a shade over a one score football game, which is pretty close. <laughs> I was going to say, that's probably what I expected. If Lafayette won it, I would not be one bit surprised personally. I think I would be. I, I just would be from a talent perspective. I know I keep bringing that up on this episode and it's <laughs> kind of bothering me that I am. It's just, I, I can't imagine it, but I suppose the way Texas has, has been the last few years, it wouldn't shock, shock me, but I would be surprised. Well, we're going to find out very quickly on Saturday 
where Texas's program stands under Sark. It'll be nice to see him call a play other than a QB draw for the first time in six years. <laughs> that is true. I have a feeling that that offense is going to be really exciting. Whatever, whoever Sark has playing, because you're right, I don't know too much about what Texas has on their team either, but I do know what Sark has. I do know who Sark is, and that guy will make it exciting. Yes. Yeah, he will. Do you think Sark knew that Texas – do you think all the way back in, in January, Sark knew that they were going to the SEC? No, I don't. You don't think so? I, I don't. I don't – I have to think that bit. he was I – have, I have to think he was told that it was in the works as a potential thing and that could have got him signed because he did give up. I mean, yes, he was an OC, but he could have gone a lot of places and he chose to go to Texas and – well, I mean, Texas I totally is one of the knew. most highly funded programs in the country. So, you know, it, it it's not a step down to go to Texas. I I do see where you're coming from, where it might have been like, hey, you know, it's not firm, but we, we're toying with this idea. Which, I think that something like that was back in the works in, in January, just based off the time frame of what – there's no way they threw this together that quickly. Oh, I, I absolutely agree with that. I. I don't know if it went all the way back to January, but they would have had to have been thinking about it in January. It just would have been in my mind where they had, they thought enough to discuss it with their future head coach. But that yeah. be a possibility. Because I mean, if you bring somebody in on the premise that they're going to go to the sec in his tenure and it doesn't, and like, there's no intention. Yeah. It doesn't happen that it's really hard. Yeah. But that, that would be interesting. I'm sure it'll come out eventually. I just don't know if, they would have been able to keep that under wraps for as long as they did. Yeah. That, I mean, they did a good job until media days until it was basically already done deals when they got released out. It's one of the best kept secrets in, in major sports for such a major thing in a long time. You yeah. typically break and this one did not. So um, we can move on to, uh, I think another interesting game. We had UCLA got their first game in in week zero. They looked really good against a Hawaii squad that I'm not, not saying Hawaii is any type of world beaters, but UCLA did did come out really hot, really fast against against them, and kind of slowed it up there in the second half. And they have LSU come into town, uh, which there's no doubt a distinct advantage to already getting a full game under your belt, being UCLA. But where do you where do you see this game? I I see LSU winning. I think they uh, they had a 100% building year last year after being one of the best college football teams in history. Got some. Some players returning. I just again the the SEC talent. <laughs> At the risk of sounding redundant, folks, Joseph's going to talk about talent. I'm sorry, but like on on week one of the season, I don't know what product's going to be on the field. I but I do know the kind of guys that they have in the locker room, and they're just bigger and stronger and better. And I just, I'm there. But I will say, um, I I it, is it a huge advantage that UCLA got to play one game. Because oh, they, yeah. they won't ha- – well, they'll still be a little shaky, but they won't be the like deer in headlights, you know, missing cadences and, and stuff like that. So it'll to be – put in perspective, the teams that – in the first game, I, I think college football unders are like – they hit like 80% of the time for whatever projected total points is in, in the first week, and then it drops down significantly to like 50% or 40% right about average – um, when you look at the second week. So there is a distinct uh, correlation between it being the first week and teams not being you know, as sharp 
still working out kinks. And for UCLA to have the advantage of already have done that, it will definitely, it's why I think this is only a three point game. Otherwise I think that you'd be looking at a much higher spread, probably 10 to 14 points. Yeah, I would agree with that. Because I, I firmly believe that LSU is a, I guess you could say kind of dark horse uh, national title contender. I think that they're really going to give a, give Alabama and give the SEC West a run for its money this year that they are really due for a, a big bounce back. They got Bo Bellini out of there, which is really good. Um, and they got a lot of talent back. So I, I expect a lot of things from LSU this year. I'm not going to be the 2019 team by any stretch of the imagination, but they will be a very competitive team in the SEC. And so I, I think that if you're, if you have that much ability and you're going to be competing in the SEC, you ought to be able to go out there and take advantage of a UCLA team that under Chip Kelly has been horrific and is out of conference uh, so far in his three years out there. They haven't even been that good in conference. You're right. <laughs> it's been worse out of conference. Trust me. I looked. It's it, yeah. This is by an average of 18 points to out of conference teams. So yeah. So that's even worse. But yeah, I mean, they should handle them easily. They're just a better team. Agreed. I think that they kind of they have the maybe maybe UCLA can get out to a quick score if they get the ball first type of thing, but. I would expect LSU to control most of this game, especially the second half. I expect them to firmly be in control of the game. I mean, you, you could look at some intangible things on, on how much they, their preparation with, you know, bearing in mind Hurricane Ida rolling through the, the Baton Rouge area earlier this week at that impact. I mean, you could. I, they've been, I think they've been in Houston up. practicing, if I'm not mistaken. They, they got out of there in time, so they've been able they haven't missed any practices from it. Um, yeah, I knew they had gotten out of there. I'm just saying, like, routine-wise, if anything had changed. But Oh, yeah, and I'm sure they've really got family, too, that yeah. they're worried about. Right. But, you know. Yeah, but, good but, there, but no, yeah, we're – maybe it gives them uh, – maybe it gives them a little bit of extra juice to go out there and try and give their state something to be to be excited about and feel good about after – and our thoughts and prayers are with all the people affected by, by Hurricane Ivan. That was an absolutely horrible – horrible, devastating storm that rolled through and it's still wrecking havoc in a lot of places. I got a lot of rain up here in Nashville and it, there are a lot of places across the whole Southeast. You know, a whole bunch of rain from this thing. Yeah, definitely. Always, uh, always tough to see that area get hit with hurricanes and it very sad because it's a very impoverished area that it's got a lot of really cool culture and history and they tend to take them a little harder than most places. They're a resilient group of folks. So we know they'll be back. Oh yeah. They are. They're they're true American down there. And then uh, I think the last really, and this is no doubt the uh, the absolute you know primetime game of the weekend. This is going to be such an awesome game for it to be week one, and we we get something like this. You've got Georgia Clemson playing in Charlotte, so it is technically a neutral site, and I think it actually will, will be pretty close to a 50-50 crowd. Georgia travels well. It's not a long drive to go from Atlanta to Charlotte. It's just a couple hours. And obviously it's close to Clemson as well. So it will be a really, really good atmosphere there. Where do you see this game going? I'm a little surprised to see George as the underdog in this game personally, but it's it's hard to say that you take any team as a favorite. So you, I guess you just got to choose one. I'm, I'm taking Georgia. I think twofold. First, Kirby is due to win a big game because – for some reason, he's been let off the hook his whole career at Georgia for basically never winning big games. And um, 
Second, JT Daniels had a full offseason of starter reps that he didn't have coming into last year. UGA has a real quarterback. And Clemson lost, you know, basically the Peyton Manning of this era under center for him. Um, you know, they lost Travis Etienne as well, which will be, you know, undercovered by the media. He was a guy who was in the backfield for better part of a decade, pretty much. I mean, it it's um, it's going to be a very different look for Clemson and a very experienced look for UGA. And I, I just, I think their, their time has finally come. And I think it's just going to be a little, the little bit of uncertainty for Clemson um, is going to let UGA win. But um, I think it's going to be really, really close. It took us almost an hour to get in, but folks, we finally have a disagreement between us because <laughs> I do have, I actually have Clemson in this game. And it's funny because some of the reasons why I'm choosing Clemson is why you were a little bit, you were talking about Georgia and one of those is coaching. I think that Dabo has the absolute advantage when it comes to coaching a big game like this over Kirby smart. I think Kirby still hasn't figured out how to get it done and it's one of those things where I need to see him show me before I, I start to believe it anymore. He's He hasn't gotten it done yet. And so I need to see it from Kirby Smart in this type of big game before I believe it. And Dabo absolutely has has proved it. And I think that Dabo is a little bit of a sore, sore taste in his mouth of how last year ended. Um, that team got beat up by Ohio State. On in, in the playoff last year, and I think that they're they're ready to get back out there. They've got a really good quarterback. I mean, DJ Ogamalu or whatever, however you pronounce his name, he performed like an absolute stud against Notre Dame in the one game he got thrown into there. Um, talent's not going to be a problem. He's gotten some reps under himself, So and it was in a big game. So you can't really – that's a huge advantage to them in this case. I just think that uh, Georgia had a few off-season injuries that, that's really going to hurt him. Darno Washington was going to be a big tight end for him. He's injured and going to be out. You've got George Pickens is out this year. That's a massive target for them that they lost on the outside. So not that I think Georgia is bad by any stretch of the imagination. I think that they, they handily win the East this year. But I, I have Clemson winning this game in a nail-biter and pulling it out in what should be the best game of the weekend. Yeah, I, I don't discount any point you made. I mean, Dabo is, is a, a second, a, I would say distant second to Saban, but he's definitely, I think, the second best uh, coach in college football. You know, you're you're right. DJ definitely played well against Notre Dame. I think he threw for pretty like like 400 yards or something stupid. <laughs> so it, it's it's nothing against his talent. It's just you know he isn't Trevor Lawrence. No, or maybe he's better. We haven't really seen, but it is his first start with him as the starter and not replacing Trevor, which I think is a little bit of a different mindset. Maybe play a little more tight. I, I don't know. I just feel like UGA is going to have something this year where they're going to be a legit contender. Um, they, you know, they, as you mentioned, they lost some big pieces due to injury. They also lost, you know, a couple guys, notable guys in the draft. So it's, it's going to be – it'll be an interesting team. But I also I, think I this game means more to Clemson than it does to UGA, and here's why. Because I think UGA can lose this game 
and UGA still has an absolutely clear path to the playoff because if you win the SEC, there's no doubt you, you they could lose a game in the SEC, still make it to the championship game, and if then if they beat Alabama and win it at ten and two with the loss being in Clemson and the one loss being in the SEC during the regular season, I think they still would get into the playoff, especially after beating Bama in the SEC championship. But I think if Clemson loses this game then they are on the ropes for the entire season because every single game for them will be a must win because they are not going to be a two loss team at the ACC getting into the playoff. So I think this game means so much more to Clemson in that sense that not that their season's on the line, but boy, their, their backs will be against the wall the rest of the season if they don't win this game versus UGA has a little bit more rope to play with. I agree with everything you said. <laughs> I don't so know. did I, I did I sway you, or are you still saying? No, you didn't sway me. I still think they're going to win the game, but I, I, I think it definitely is more important to Clemson because there's just not enough good teams in the ACC to to bump them over. And I've also said I said last year on this show they could be a three loss team, and I think whoever wins the SEC gets into the college football playoff. I, you know, so there's definitely a little more forgiveness and leeway for UGA. Um, I just, I think. Kirby needs that big win under his belt. And I think, you know, this is his best chance to get it. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's the least pressure, but still could be a would be a very, very big moment for him and his coaching resume at UGA because clearly it's not the do or die of an SEC championship game or a national championship game. So you've got a whole bunch, you got the whole season after you, but you win this game. But I think a lot of people look at this Georgia team a whole lot differently and look at Kirby differently as a coach in these games. Mm-hmm. So it's a huge, huge moment. Very early in the season. Love, love to see this type of stuff happening week one. No, yeah. I mean, seeing this is, yeah. This is the game you'd have circled for week seven. You know, it's, it's, just, <laughs> it's cool that it's right off the bat. Love it. So that's kind of where, where I stand of, of a lot of games. Um, there's like 80 something football games this weekend. Uh I'm gonna I'm gonna end up missing some of it. Sadly, gonna be having to attend a wedding on Saturday afternoon. Hopefully, we'll we'll have to miss too much of the good stuff. I know I can't believe there's a wedding happening on on the first weekend of football. They'll they'll talk about it. I'm already a little upset about it. Trust me. But um, what's your what's your setup gonna look like this weekend? What's your what's your go to setup there, Joe? How many screens you got? What? How many screens you got going? Uh, I'll probably have two screens going. We got the 70 incher on the wall and then I got the 40 incher that I'll, I'll probably bring out, uh, legs up on the couch, Hulk on the floor, cores in the right hand. It's absolutely the way to do it. I mean, (laughs) that is actually the one thing I will, I will, I really enjoyed last year that I will miss this year by going, having season tickets to Tennessee is that I will be at all the games. So you miss a good chunk of window of games. And I really enjoyed that last year, being at home, being able to put two TVs, three. If I brought over my computer computer monitor, I had three time, three screens going sometimes last year of, of games going on. And it's, it's a whole lot of fun to be able to do that. But you also can't – you cannot make up for being out of game either. So, No, I, I agree. Definitely. So, no, it's going to be a whole lot of fun. So before we, we get out of here, the, the, you know, the last six months of this podcast – or four months of this podcast has been strictly dedicated to, to Braves talk. And I know it's kind of odd for us to go away from the Braves talk, but frankly, there's not a lot that's changed. I think in the last two weeks since we last spoke when it comes to the Braves, other than 
the NL East looks worse than it did two weeks ago, and the Braves look exactly as we saw them two weeks ago as they started to get on that big winning streak. And I think that it it's it's not over by any stretch, but I think it's pretty safe to say that the Braves have this division in hand, and it's just kind of ticking away the time now for the rest of the last month of the season. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, the Mets are booing players, players booing the fans. Uh, <laughs> you know, the the Phillies haven't really put on a, a big charge. And, um, you know, we dropped the, the short series to the Yankees, but bounced back and, and won the series against the best team in baseball with the Giants this past week. Um, out in L.A., it's going to be pretty telling. See how we'll stack up come, you know, October. But, you know, this, this is a Braves team. I feel for really confident it's going to end up winning the division, um, you know, barring some major change or – whatever. I just think we're carrying some good momentum. The team looks solid. Um, aren't as many gaps as we saw early summers. There have been the last, you know, really, I mean, I say the last month since the trade deadline, uh, teams look great. So happy with them so far, just play, you know, decent baseball in. We should be right there. I mean, yeah, they've got a, they're three and a half up at the moment on the Phillies and the Phillies do have a light schedule, but they've still got some, I think they've got one series against Philadelphia left. And so basically as long as the Braves don't just absolutely flop coming in, I I can't see the Phillies overtaking them. Um, You just got to take advantage of when you start playing teams like Colorado and Arizona this month and hold on for dear life. As you're like you said, we're out in LA last night. Drew Smiley did not have, a very good night um, kind of got beat up a little bit, which is going to happen to a good team like the Dodgers. And so you try and win one of these next two, you got Morton on the mound. And then uh, I think it's Max Freed uh, for the next game after that. So you, you just got to get one of them uh, with these next two. And I think if you took one out of three out there, I'd be perfectly satisfied. Yep. That's okay. So. Um, try to think other than, if uh, for for those who may or may not know, there's there was a quite an interesting story that happened the last or over the weekend started on Sunday in high school football that I'm not sure <laughs> how many people have, have known about it. But I at least wanted to mention it, because if you haven't gone to hear like read or have heard about the Sycamore Bishop or the Bishop Sycamore uh, high school game against IMG Academy from Sunday, I highly encourage you, please look this up on Google and read some of the articles that have been done. There's a great one on The Athletic if you're a subscriber there. Uh, I think USA Today had a really good article in it as well of an in-depth one. But man, just your whole thoughts on how a fake high school with Juco players, high school players can get their way onto ESPN (laughs) and play a behemoth of a high school team at IMG Academy and then get their brains beat in 55 or whatever to nothing. And like, just how this even happens is just absolutely unbelievable. You have a coach with an active warrant out for his arrest on the field. Uh, it's freaking weird. The whole thing is weird. And like, I, I honestly, like when it, when I, I first saw the score of the game and had heard about this. I was like, okay, maybe it's just like, you know, a really bad high school team that somehow was able to hype themselves up to be able to play IMG and um, which 
for those who don't follow recruiting or high school football very much, that's like the tip of the iceberg. They're like the Alabama of high school football. Well, they put out they put out literally dozens of top D one prospects. Yeah, their third string yeah. guys are D one prospects, um, just by association. But they uh, they just steamrolled this team, and I I was just like. This is ridiculous. Then you start seeing the memes about it. And then I started doing some more digging and they had played two games. They played a game on Friday and then Sunday. And it was just like, the whole thing was just like surreal that ESPN, which is one of you know the biggest broadcast channels in the world can just get absolutely the wool pulled over their eyes by this like scheme. <laughs> it's just- yeah. It's an online like scheme. It's just, it's, how this got past so many different checkpoints is unbelievable. And frankly, I'm kind of like, I'm kind of glad that it did because this team, I mean, not only for the story, it's kind of good that this gets stopped because they were supposed to go play a bunch of other teams this year. And for the player, the health and safety of the players on Bishop Sycamore, they should not be playing football against the teams that they were trying to play because they are going to get seriously injured. I mean, you had a, one of the worst highlights from that game was there was a guy in the end zone for Bishop Sycamore who's hurt. And the announcers for ESPN are sitting there and they're like, yeah, the injured player is number 54. But according to the roster that we were given by the team, there is no 54 on the, on the roster. So we don't know who the name of the player is. I mean, you can't make this stuff up about what happened. And the story gets weirder and weirder and weirder. Every, everything that comes out after it. So there's been so much reporting done just because it's an incredible story that this has never happened before. So please go out there and, and read it and do some research on it. If you have not already. It could be a 30 for 30. It it's like, what it, would it be called? What would, what would the 30 for 30 be called? I have no idea We're, we are actually 30. <laughs> yeah, we are 30. It's just like, it almost to me feels like somebody started it like, a campaign a to team as a joke and it caught traction. And at the last minute he was like, Oh man, like I got, I got to put something together. Like he's <laughs> rounding up his buddies. Like, Hey, here's some pads, go out there and play football. Last time I can think, I don't know that anything like this has really ever happened other than, I mean, you, I don't know if we've ever talked about this, but the, the most lopsided defeat in college football was Georgia tech against Cumberland 222 to zero. And what happened was Cumberland had no football team when they uh, played Georgia Tech that following year. And the backstory of why they kept adding it on is uh, Cumberland had taken it to Georgia Tech's baseball team and they didn't let up and had no mercy. And so uh, Georgia Tech repeated by having this game against them, holding them to the game, even though they had no football team and had to cut the budget. And you had a bunch of fraternity guys out there legitimately playing a college football game. And that's why they got beat 22 to zero. But that's back when Georgia Tech was a good football team. <laughs> that's back when Georgia Tech was in the SEC. There's a tidbit for you. Hey, you don't know the three teams that, uh, that have left the SEC. Or can you name them? I can't. Georgia Tech, Tulane, and Swanee, the College of the South. Roll wave. You know what was, was a bummer from this whole hurricane ordeal was Tulane was supposed to play Oklahoma in, in New uh, Orleans. New Orleans, and that obviously won't be the case. Yeah, they're going to go play that game in Norman. That is a, a real a real bummer because that was going to – not that I think Tulane's going to hang with Oklahoma by any stretch, but that, would, that was a big game to get to New Orleans. And I think the people oh, yeah. of Oklahoma would have loved it. And the people of Oklahoma, I'm sure, were looking forward to a trip to New Orleans too. Yeah, definitely. So – 
that's uh that's what we got you got a little trivia lesson in tonight and you got some some current news we got it all tonight on on this podcast so yes we do um all right everybody like we said at the beginning we're back to our weekly cadence so so check your your apple podcast feed spotify feed however you are listening to us and we will uh, you will have a new episode to listen in on we'll recap uh games and then we'll look forward to the next week's games so it'll get a little bit harder once we get college and NFL, but we kind of got a groove for it last year. So I think we're, we're looking forward to it again this year. It's a, it's a whole lot of fun. We've got a lot to talk about in our short hours time that we have with you guys every week. Yes, sir. Looking forward to getting back onto our, our routine on how we started and uh, really putting out some good stuff for you this season. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, everyone enjoy your, your holiday weekend. Enjoy your five days of football um, hope our teams come out victorious, Joseph, and we have lots of cheers to talk about and some, some really exciting stuff when we, when we get back on here next week. So, well, we will, we will end it as always with our, uh, typical go Braves. Go Braves. Go Braves.